You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 2 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. Again, just to keep us all up to speed on where we're at. Conspiracy with Absalom has been strong. David is now fleeing for his life. And and in this leaving of Jerusalem and leaving of the land of Israel, crossing the Jordan River, we find a number of characters now that have been paraded in front of us that are really powerful to view and to witness. And so we pick it up here again in chapter 17 um, this morning. And starting at verse number 27, and it came to pass when David was come to Manaim, that Shobai, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Maker, the son of Amiel, of Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileonite, of Rogelim, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey, and butter, and sheep, and cheese of kind for David, and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry, and weary, and thirsty in the wilderness. Before we move on to our next portion, it's important to to view the three people that have just been mentioned to us. David now finds his way to Manaim. Manaim is a a trans-Jordanic spot. It's a crossed the river of Jordan, where the people of Israel were. They crossed Jordan, and now David finds himself in this location as he's fleeing. And there are three men that are mentioned here that come to his aid. The first is Shobai. Um, He's an Ammonite. He's not of the tribe of Israel. And it's quite possible, most likely, that his brother was Hanum. If you remember the story of Hanum, the Ammonite king, who when David found out his father died, sent servants there to comfort him, and Hanum thought it was a, a guise, and so he mistreated David's servants. He cut off half their beards and cut off their trousers. Slightly embarrassing. It did not go well for him afterwards because David came in, destroyed them, and obviously replaced him with Shobai. And so Shobai comes to David's aid. The next is Maker. He is from Lodabar. Remember the name Lodabar? The name literally means barren, empty, nothing there. We would say today, Merlin. Not in a bad way, just saying that there's really nothing there. Good people, great people, lovely people. Just, yes. <laughs> just nothing there. <laughs> and, and so, here is Maker from Lodibar, and if you recall, Lodibar would sound familiar to you because of Mephibosheth. That's where they took Mephibosheth, and they, they kept him there. This area was very sympathetic to the house of Saul, and yet they come and give David aid. And the last individual that we see in this part of the text is Barzillai. He is from uh, Rogalim, and he, he comes from the land of, uh, of Gad and Reuben on the other side of the river. And I want you to know as we work our way through this passage, keep in mind that for all three of these men, as we, as we start to, the story unfolds for us, we find right away that these three men are incredibly wealthy. They are wealthy landowners at the least. And at this time in the history of David, 
the issue of the kingdom has not been settled yet. You see, David's no longer on the throne. He is no longer in power. He is literally, again, a fugitive. He's a refugee. He is out. And the fact is, during this time, it does not look good for David. Absalom has come, the conspiracy is strong, and Absalom will come with overwhelming numbers. He's after David and David's allies. That's what's happening when these three men find him. And the truth is, if Absalom wins the day, these men lose everything. Everything. Because they have allied themselves with David. They lose their wealth. They lose their lives. And yet, here's what they did. They come and find David in a time of need, and they bring him all of the things that he needs, and they say, the people are hungry, weary, thirsty in the wilderness. And this small little portion here, we have, as it were, an oasis in the desert of David's life. That he comes with the people that are with him, And these three men come, and they put themselves in his shoes, and they provide everything that he needs. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. What I'd like to do this morning is to focus now on just one individual, because we have more information on him, and that's Barzillai. If you take your Bibles, and we'll continue now, 2 Samuel chapter 19, and look with me, if you would, at verse 31. In order to get here, we had to skip chapter 18. We'll get back to chapter 18 in the next few weeks. But understand, at this point now, David has fled. A battle has taken place. David has been victorious. Before this, they had no idea, but he is now. And now he's coming back into the land. He's coming back, crossing the Jordan River, coming back to Jerusalem. And we find that now in 2 Samuel 19, verse 31. And Barzillai, the Gileadite, came down from Rogalam, and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, even fourscore years old, and he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Manaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. Barzillai said unto the king, How long have I to live, that I should go up with the king unto Jerusalem? I am this day fourscore years old, and can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto the Lord, the king? Thy servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king, and why should the king recompense it me with such a reward. Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in mine own city and be buried by the grave of my father and my mother. But behold, my servant, Chimham, let him go over with my lord the king and do to him what shall seem good unto thee. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me and I will do to him that which shall seem good unto thee. And whatsoever thou shalt require of me, That I will do for thee. And the people went over Jordan. And when the king was come over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. 
and he returned unto his own place. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. What a great story. I think we have the privilege this morning of getting into this little window of space to see this beautiful exchange between David the king and his gratitude toward this old man, Barzillai. And it's sweet to just picture him saying, I'm not going over, and David kisses him and goes into Jerusalem. What a beautiful exchange. I want you to notice a couple things about Barzillai this morning. First, I want you to know that he is wealthy. He was extremely wealthy. The Bible tells us in verse 32 of our text that he was a great man. And, and not only that, but that he sustained the king. And I think we've got to get our head around this a little bit because when David flees Jerusalem, we don't know the exact number that went with him that had to be sustained as he took off. But we know at the very least there were 600 men and their families at the very least. And Barzillai was one of the three men that sustained the king in his trouble. He was given much, Barzillai, and had much to lose. Much to lose. He was a man that was wealthy, and then he was a man that was worn out. This morning, when folks were looking at the bulletin, and they saw the title in the bulletin, which is, Old Man, Take a Look at Yourself. Some from one generation were singing a song. And others from a different generation were mad. And I I saw this grumbling going around with our our older folks about the old man issue. Listen, I did not say that. The Bible said that. He said he was a very aged man. He was an old man. The truth is, at this time, Barzillai is an octogenarian. He's in his 80s. He's 80 years old. And he's very realistic. He says, listen, here I am at 80. I don't even know if it's Tuesday or Friday. That's what he said. I, don't, I can't taste my food anymore, and I can't hear a word that you're saying. Why are you... Now, don't be grabbing Ian and pointing him out. This is, this is not... I know. I know it's wrong. It's terribly wrong. But this is a man, 80 years old, and he's realistic. But now listen to me. When you think of Barzillai, at 80 years now, if we follow his life, here is a man who has seen Eli. He's seen Samuel. He's seen Saul and Jonathan and now David and Absalom. And in this gray head is a ton of wealth and lessons to be learned. You better be careful with throwing the old people out. It's not wise. And here is a man who in his 80s now has served well and continues to serve. This is Barzillai. And before we ever think about the elderly being a nuisance, we better remember we are all headed that way. Can you imagine the terror that someday you're going to look like Ian Cameron? Alexander White, who I've enjoyed reading as of late, is known as the the last Puritan preacher. And here's what he says about Barzillai. He says, he is an aged, venerable, hospitable Highland chief. Now, I do not know what a Highland chief looks like from Scotland. But Ian, you probably do, don't you? And they probably look something like you. And the point is, 
this aged man reminded Alexander White of a man of grace and dignity and beauty and hospitality. He's a beautiful Bible character. A long life of beauty, a long life of graciousness, a long life of charity. He's a man that, as we look at this morning, he's a man that we should look at and and try to emulate. And so, there's a truth in this story I want to bring out this morning. But before we get there, I want to just give you one thing that is is of the most importance, of of the utmost importance, anyways. Um, In this story with David, I, I want you to see that Barzillai is not ashamed to identify with the Lord's anointed. Before we get to the main point of everything, I just want you to realize this. We read the text, and we know the end from the beginning. We know how the story unfolds. We know that David does win, and he comes back. Barzillai didn't, didn't know that. But in spite of David's situation, in spite of the fact that he was no longer on the, on the throne, Barzillai comes with his wealth, his resources, his grace, and he aligns himself with the Lord's anointed. No matter what is going to happen, Barzillai comes down on the right side, and his loyalty and boldness and courage are put to the test. Listen to me this morning in passing. The golden age of Christianity in our culture is over. It is over. The truth is today, the fact is many people believe the problem with the world is Christianity. Christ is mocked, he's disdained, Christians are made fun of on a constant level, and they're being persecuted and killed and imprisoned all over the world. And we see it on our own shores. And here is a man who could lose everything, not knowing how it would end, he still is loyal to the anointed king. You know, this morning we have a king. King Jesus. And you know that he came unto his own and his own received him not. He was rejected. And today the world rejects him as well. And for believers today, we must understand that you will be called upon daily to show your loyalty, your courage, and your boldness for him. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you or for me in the future, but I know what will happen. And the truth is, if Jesus Christ is our king, then his words should reign, reign supreme in our lives. Listen to what I'm saying this morning. So many Christians say, well, I need to have the Bible explained more thoroughly, thoroughly to me. I need to go to more uh, uh, conferences and seminars and more sermons. And I get that. But what you need more than anything else this morning is to believe the Bible and obey it. Believe and obey it. And if you decide honestly to believe and obey this book, you will be tested daily on your loyalty to the King of Heaven. You follow this book, and and you read what it says about being a man. Our world mocks the role of men today. Every sitcom that comes out, the husband, the father, is a joke. He's he's a, a, a laughing stock. He fobbles all over himself. He shouldn't even exist. That's not what the Bible portrays as men. It portrays men of strength, of virtue, of character, who are strong and yet gentle, who love their families, who give of themselves, who become servant leaders. And if you're going to follow the Lord, if you're going to be obedient to Him, your courage and your loyalty will be tested every day in this area because men want to just check out. 
and be aloof to what's happening and do our time at work and then be done with everything else. That's not how men in the Bible are portrayed. They are men who are actively involved in raising the next generation of men and women for Christ. You'll be tested. If you're a woman who believes this book, you'll be tested. Your loyalty to Christ and what it means to be a woman, which is a glorious thing. And again, in our culture, we've made it sound like women aren't, or they have to be exactly like men, or they have no value. That is a lie. It's a lie. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And we need women who will follow and be loyal to the king and be tested to say, no, this is my job, this is my function, this is what I do. I'm serving the Lord. I'm going to be a woman who's sweet and kind and compassionate and loving. The teenager today, your, your loyalty will be tested. In your school, in your classes, when conversations come up, you will be, you will be um, tempted in areas of sexuality, of drugs, of alcohol. It's there, and your loyalty will be tested every day. For men and women in the workplace, your integrity, hard work, being honest, not slacking off when everybody else is. That, that all turns about loyalty to Christ, to my master. I hear his words and I do them. Now listen, for Barzillai, he didn't know how it was going to end. He had no idea. But for us and our king, we already know how it ends. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We win. We win, and it doesn't make sense that God's people can't be loyal to our king while we're waiting his return because we win. And he is coming back someday to rule and reign, and when he does, everything will be made right, and we, his people, will rule with him. It's a glorious thing. And so here's Barzillai, and he is faithful, committed, loyal to God's anointed. And just for us today, may we be faithful, committed, and loyal daily when we're tested our anointed king, Jesus Christ. Now, back to the point, which I think is the main point of the message this morning. I want you to see in Barcelona's life that he is not afraid to be identified with fallen men. David is no longer on the throne. He is rejected, a fugitive. He is on the run. He's humiliated. Humiliated. Barcelona doesn't wait to see the outcome. He doesn't wait to see if, if David's going to rise to power again, if he's going to be popular again, if maybe someday if I do this for him, then when he gets to in, in office, I'll get a job out of it. He doesn't do that, not at all. He finds David where he is at, and he puts himself in David's place and says, listen, the people, they're tired, weary, hungry, thirsty. They are in the wilderness. And here is a man of 80 who is not afraid to stand alongside fallen men and women. My beloved, can you think of anyone else who is not ashamed to stand along the side of fallen men and women? Matthew chapter 9 this morning. This might help the idea of what we're thinking about today. Someone of great wealth and great means. Matthew 9, verse number 36. 
But when he, speaking of Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into the harvest. And here is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, a man of great wealth, of great means, who the glory of heaven praised him, and yet he comes down to stand next to those who are fallen and weak and weary and hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. He sees them with eyes of compassion. He is the one who is known as a friend of publicans and sinners. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. This is our Lord and Savior. That when we were at the end of ourselves, he didn't keep a distance. When I could not go to him, he came to me. What grace, what mercy. And this is our Savior. Our Savior, that while we were yet sinners, away from God, estranged from the eternal, not only away from God, but afraid of God, knowing that our sin has separated us, knowing that our hearts are dirty, knowing that God is holy, afraid, away, and antagonistic. We we are rebels to his will. And yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is grace. Jesus Christ was not ashamed to be identified with fallen men and women. I love what uh, Philip Brooks says in this acrostic, you've seen it, about grace. Uh, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And what it means is that the blessings of God, which only Christ deserves, he was holy, he was righteous, he was just, are mercifully passed to us as a consequence of his suffering and dying for our sin. And now God looks on us as though we are as holy as his son and treats us lovingly despite our imperfections. And my friend, this is grace. And this is the grace that Christ has showed all of us, that he's not ashamed to identify himself with fallen men and women. And this grace, when we think about it, it ought to captivate us, it ought to capture our hearts, it ought to overwhelm us, it ought to to make us understand the amazing grace that we enjoy. And this morning, I'm fearful that as we have grown older, physically and spiritually, we have not grown in this grace as Barzillai did. Venerable, hospitable, highland chief. We showed grace and identified with the fallen. Do you and I identify with those who are fallen? I'm going to show you a picture in a second, okay? And, and, and when I show you the picture, don't put it up yet, boys. But um, I don't want you to speak out loud. I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to grab your kids and run out the door, all right? Um, I, I just want you to look, look at the picture and, and not say a word, and I want you to think what comes into your mind first, okay? So I'm telling you now, it's going to be shocking, okay? It's going to be shocking. I'm telling you right in advance, shocking. Now everyone's awake now. It's going to be shocking. Your hand's sweating yet? It's when it gets good. And I want you to think in your own heart your initial response to what you see. In a moment, I'm going to show you a picture that was on Facebook. And on Facebook, it was a picture of this man 
and it had uh, this caption, describe in one word. And thousands and thousands of people wrote one word to describe what you're about to see in a moment. Okay? And so, are you ready? Show the picture. Okay? Okay. Now don't say anything. Just, just see it for what it is. Okay? Now I wonder this morning, as believers who know Christ, who know of his grace, who, who understand that we've been saved from sin, I wonder what our initial response to this is. I wonder what your initial response is. Now listen, can I tell you something? There are lots of appropriate responses to this picture. One could be lost, confused, broken, or sad. Right? But listen to the responses on Facebook to this picture. Idiot, stupid, Garbage, waste. Seriously. Seriously. And then these are people who aren't very bright because it says, describe in one word, and they say, I want to puke, which is actually four words. Or, glad he's not my son. Or, these are the real political ones, Republican. (laughs) NDP. You might as well throw them all in, right? Liberal, conservative, whatever you want to do. Okay. Listen to me this morning. I'm not condoning this. I believe we're made in the image of God. It's a glorious thing. So young people here don't say, look, your pastor showed a picture, and that's what he wants us to do when we leave. That's not what I'm doing this morning at all. But I have to wonder as we search our own hearts this morning, have we moved so far away from grace? Have we forgotten our Savior who is a friend of sinners? Have we overlooked the pit from whence we were dug and the miry clay where our feet were stuck when he found us and put us on the rock? Can we look at the fallen around us, no matter what they look like, and see within their eyes a person of value and worth that Jesus Christ died for? And I'm fearful that as we age, we're not aging gracefully. We're not growing in grace. We're not like a Barzillai who says, David, you're fallen, you're humiliated, you're in trouble, but I'm going to stand with you because this is exactly what you need. We don't. And for whatever reason, we become self-righteous and arrogant and judgmental. And we look at the world through, I don't know what kind of glasses you're wearing, but they are not glasses of grace. You can take that down now. Can I tell you something? Do you know that Jesus spent lots of time with people we try to avoid? I mean, lots of time. The woman at the well, no one was touching her. <laughs> Nobody. The disciple, what are you doing? She's a Samaritan. Been married a bunch of times. She's dirty. That's where we find Jesus. Matter of fact, not only do we find him there, he must needs go to Samaria. The woman caught in the act of adultery that the self-righteous religious folks just want to stone her, left the guy out of the equation, but they want her dead. Jesus says, hey, 
about, you got, for whoever wants to cast the first stone, make sure they don't have any sin in their own life. Those are going to sin no more. The publicans, the tax collectors, Jesus is there. He is constantly engaging in people we try to avoid. And what I'm telling you as a church this morning is, we live the life of Barzillai, and he grew in grace and, 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 and hospitality and love, and too many of us, we are growing in everything but grace. Christian, you might want to widen your circle of influence. You might want to have some people in your life that are nothing like you. It should be that the outcast of this world sense love and acceptance, not for their actions, but as a person of value and worth, someone who Christ died for, they should feel that from us. This should never be a church where people can't walk in these doors no matter what they look like and sense that these people love them and care for them. Years ago, we had a, uh, uh, it was a program that came here, and they, they were helping us reach the community. We're a smaller church. We just had the small little building here, and we were pushing for a big day, the, the biggest numbers we could ever get. And I don't know, we maybe had 100 that day or something. The place was packed. And as Kim and I stood in the foyer there, we were watching people come in. We saw a guy get out of his car, and the guy had, um, he, he had a, a mohawk. A beautiful mohawk. It was, it was like spiked. It looked like a dinosaur. All the way down his head. About, it was like about six feet. Not six feet. I don't know. It was, it was, that's an exaggeration. It was high on his head. And uh, he had a bunch of piercings, and he had black fingernails, and he had, uh, he had a, um, um, a duct tape tie that he made for the occasion. It was really a cool tie, actually. And Kim and I saw him get out of his car, and the first thing we did was we made a beeline to him and said, listen, we're so glad you're here today. And when he came in, one of the men in our back, when I walked in, and he made it to the way to the building, said, did you see that freak that came in? Yeah, I saw him. And I pray he trusts Christ as a Savior. What are we doing? Is this what the church is? Have we, have we become so good at making ourselves look like we're perfect as we come in that, that we've lost the idea of grace for the lost? And young people, listen to me. I'm not saying go out and find a project of someone that you're going to just... No, but in your youth group and in your schools, you should be the kids who are out there showing love and compassion to the kid who's the outsider. They come to youth. They shouldn't be sitting in a corner. You should go up to them. They're at your school, and everyone's making fun of them. You should be the one who shows kindness to them. What are we doing? We must see this example of Barzillai. We must see the example of our own Savior, Jesus Christ. We must stand with those who are fallen. And we must not be afraid to stand with those who are fallen within the church. Not only does the world need grace, but the church needs this grace. I don't know what it is, but we long to shoot our wounded. Do you know, sometimes the world treats believers who have fallen better than the church ever would. Do you know, David was persecuted by Saul, the king of Israel, God's people. He found relief by Achish, the Philistine. Do you know that Jeremiah was put in prison by the king of Judah and delivered by the king of Babylon? 
That should never be. And we got to quit pretending as we come into church that people here don't need us to stand next to them in their fallenness. This should be a hospital for people. And we get to the point where, oh, they blew it, they fell, we're done, garbage idiot, we're finished, then we're finished. And we must quit propagating this facade. There's nobody in this room who's perfect. Nobody. Years ago, my wife, um, we were in our first full-time ministry, and she was talking to a, 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 a wife of a pastor, and she said, listen, what do you do when you guys get into a fight? He said, hmm, I don't know. We never fight. She was either lying or she never talked to her husband ever or she was not married to me. Okay? It's like, what? What? We never have an art, we never, we never have to resolve things, really? Then you must never speak to each other. You must never talk. You must not have any opinions. There was a missions group, and a woman asked a question to the missionary uh, wife who had six kids, and, and she said, what do you do when your kids rebel? And again, the answer was, I don't know. My kids never rebel. Are you raising kids or hamsters? Because... Do you, want, you must not understand the gospel because the gospel is for rebellious, wicked sinners. And we all rebel. And this facade is that we're perfect. It's not the case. We are all fallen. We are all broken. And it's time for the church to stand next to brothers and sisters and say, listen, dumb, stupid, whatever, we're here. You need to go to God with grace. And we're going to walk you through this. I find the people who are so adamant about Christians who fall. You know, they're just, oh, I've been out of shape, and ah, they fell, and I can't believe how stupid they are. It's amazing to me that most of those people have real sin problems in their own life. Remember David? David hears this cute little story about lambs. And he finds out this guy takes a lamb and, from a guy who only had one, and he's irate. And he says, fourfold. He's going to report, re- restore that lamb four full times. And that's right. That's the law. But then he says, and that guy's going to die. Really? David, he's going to die because he took a lamb? Where's that coming from, Dave? Well, maybe it's coming from your wicked heart that you've been ignoring your own sin about a, a, a lamb that you took, committed adultery, and a guy you murdered. And so here is Barzillai. He is not ashamed to stand with those who are fallen. And may we, by God's grace, be individuals who are not ashamed to stand with those who are fallen. Church, where are you at? For many of us, we are growing old physically and spiritually. And here's how we're growing. We're growing in irritability. We're growing in self-righteousness. We're growing in a meanness about us. We're growing in a pride and haughty spirit. And that's not God's plan for your life. Here is an 80-year-old man, and what he is is a man of grace who's not ashamed to stand with those who are fallen. And would to God we would be the same people 
who are not growing in irritability and pride and wickedness, but we are growing in grace. 2 Peter 3.18, you know the verse, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be both glory now and forever. And so this morning, if we hope to aspire in our old age, physically and spiritually, to be men and women that God can use, that are examples of grace, that are faithful and loyal to our King, that stand next to those who are fallen inside and outside the church, then we must grow in grace. And the way we grow in grace is going back to our Savior, Jesus Christ. You've got to know Him. You've got to relish Him. You've got to go back to the Gospel. Can I tell you something? When you and I sit at the foot of the cross, and we sit there, and we understand that it was my sin that placed Jesus Christ on that cross. It gives me a whole new perspective about my sin and your sin and everyone else's sin and forgiveness and grace and mercy and everything that goes with that. And for too many of us, we've been moving away from the cross. And we don't daily go back to growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Barzillai, an old man, an old man, but a man who has much to teach us today about growing in grace and standing with those who are fallen. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.